So we're thinking this morning as we head into Christmas about the idea of Jesus as the healer. I won't ask for a show of hands, but just think how many of us here need healing. And if we don't need healing immediately, we know people who need healing. You go, oh, that's probably most of us, right? It's one of the central claims about Jesus, as we just heard, that he healed people's diseases. I thought it'd be good for us to think a little bit about that, or maybe a lot about that. Here's where we're going. You might think, what time does church finish today? And that would be a good question. Church finishes when it finishes. But here are some important questions to think about. When we come to think about Jesus as a healer, the starting point is what sickness? What is it? Then we can think about what is healing. And then we can think about who needs it. We can think who is the healer, how are we healed, why are some not healed, and will there ever be complete healing? And we're going to do all of that in 20 minutes. So buckle up. What is sickness? Most simply, when we come to think about it in terms of the Bible, you have to understand the Bible is a pre-scientific document. So what you're not going to discover in the Bible is the germ theory of sickness. You're not going to find a big description there of bacteria and viruses and parasites and what happens at a molecular level to one's body to account for sickness. Okay. That doesn't mean that the Bible's wrong. It just means it has a way of describing sickness that is different to the framing and the understanding that we get from science. And I believe firmly the two go together. That's another whole discussion. The simple definition, as I think about it, is sickness is the sense or the reality that things are not the way they are meant to be. So sickness is a state of being where we go this, we know what health is. We know how things are meant to be, but we just know that they're not. For example, a very monumentally trivial, but annoying example from my life. Right now, I have an, a little bit of an injury to my Achilles tendon from playing too much squash. And every time I take a step, I realize this is not the way it's meant to be. This is not the way it's meant to be, that your tendons get old and tight as you age, and then they get damaged when you exercise. You go, ah, it's not the way it's meant to be. But the sickness, the not the way it's meant to be-ness of the world is more than just physical, right? There is sickness that is certainly physical, and we're all acutely aware of that. Happens to all of us at varying stages. But there's a spiritual sickness, by which I mean, of course, that spiritually we know things aren't the way they're meant to be. We're cut off from God. We're, we struggle to experience God. We struggle to trust God. We struggle to love God. We struggle to know God. We struggle to find meaning and purpose in our lives. There's a spiritual sickness that needs healing. There's mental sickness, or not the way it's meant to be-ness. Now, before you think I'm going to have a conversation about depression and anxiety, which we can, what I was thinking about in the first instance here was that we don't think about the world and understand the world the way we should. I'm meant to know how the world works. I'm meant to understand reality, but, I'm, but I just can't. It's opaque to me. It's not the way it's meant to be. I'm meant to understand how to operate in the world, how to flourish in the world, how to think about the world, how to make life work. 
So there's this profound limitation on our cognitive capacity, on our ability to understand and process, not and, and to access the information in the first instance, then to rightly interpret it and to understand it. And that's not the way it's meant to be. I'm like, we have the sense, I'm, I'll, I'll take a very simple example. My mental illness is seen, or my mental, not the way it's meant to be-ness, is seen in the fact that I don't know myself well enough. Like how many of us know with great clarity our own motives and desires? And how many of us know what's best for us? And we should. Now, of course, there's also, that's the one category, that also then we slide into the whole organic basis of mental illness, the depressions, the anxieties, all the things we most often think about. And they are certainly real and they need healing. That our brains, our psyches are meant to work. And we know that sometimes they fail us profoundly and deeply. But there's also relational sickness. How many of you are Seinfeld fans? How many of you enjoyed watching the sitcom Seinfeld? Okay. How many of you think Costanza is like one of the greatest comedic characters ever written for television? Well, George. Okay. How many of you now remember George's father's Christmas alternative? Festivus. Okay, so George Costanza, a misanthropic little guy, a hysterical, brilliant comedic character, and his father uh, is sick of Christmas, and so he's designed his own uh, celebration. It's called Festivus. And what is the point of Festivus? Festivus is when you get together with your family and you spend the whole time telling them how your family have disappointed you in the year before. Isn't that great? I thought, ah, oh, Larry David, who wrote that character, wrote that. He's brilliant insight into our relational sickness. Like you gather, and is that not highlighted at Christmas? We all gather together and we all meet around with people that we don't normally see and we try to limit our time with and, and everybody now is happy uh, and it's all good until crazy Uncle Bob is three beers and two wines in. And then suddenly all the stuff, the relationships that don't quite work, the brokenness, the disappointments, the hurt, just so often, right? The other way to put it is a little, <laughs> even our best relationships aren't what they're meant to be. They're never quite perfect. They're never, there's always like, a, okay. So the point to make then is we are integrated beings and sickness in any one part of our being actually affects all of us. And you know that. I, over the years, I've, I've spent lots of time working with helping people one-on-one, one-on-one -on -one sort of counseling and coaching and so on. And, and I've done that with folk who aren't religious, done that in the corporate world with some folk and Here's an obvious thing. People's performance in the workplace is massively impacted by conflict in their homes. Just because we're integrated. If, if you've got broken relationships in the home, you're going to struggle to succeed at work because we're connected. Everything is connected. If we're disconnected from God and from a sense of ultimate meaning and purpose for our lives, 
then it becomes very hard to have mental wellness because it affects how we think and feel about everything. Uh, being sick is not what it's meant to be. The question then, given that we're in church, is what is the connection between sickness and sin? The other way to think of sin is our own choices to stuff things up. Sin is this ineluctable tendency you and I have to mess things up. And is there a connection between our choices, morally and spiritually, and the mess we make of our lives physically, spiritually, mentally, and relationally? And that's a very interesting question. And the Bible addresses that in all sorts of ways. I'm not sure how much to go through. There's a bit here. Say Exodus 15. God's brought the Israelites out of Egypt. And Moses cries out to the Lord. And the Lord shows him a piece of wood. They're in the wilderness here. He threw it into the water and the water became fit to drink. There the Lord issued a ruling and an instruction for them and put them to the test. If you listen carefully to the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. So it seems like there is uh, a connection between that God is talking to the Israelites about between obedience to God and life working the way it's meant to be. If that's the definition of health, life works the way it's meant to be. And sickness is life not working the way it's meant to work. It seems like God is saying, if you trust me, if you obey me, then you won't get sick in the way that the Egyptians got sick. Now, how did the Egyptians get sick? God smote them in all kinds of ways. Here's a strategy to avoid smiting. Obey God. Along the same lines, the prophet Hosea uses the pictures of sickness and illness and sickness and sores to illustrate the effects of invading forces on the territories of Ephraim and Judah. Here again, restoration is seen in terms of healing. Come, let us return to the Lord. He has torn us to pieces, but he will heal us. He has injured us, but he will bind up our wounds. And it seems just when you thought it couldn't get any more challenging that God is actively involved in sending illness as a means of discipline or judgment. God sends physical illness upon people as a sign of discipline or judgment. You can 2 Samuel, Job, Psalms, Habakkuk, Acts. And then Paul picks this up, the Apostle Paul, not this Paul, in his teaching on the Lord's Supper, where he says that the sin of eating and drinking without recognizing the body of the Lord leads to judgment and explains why many of you are weak and sick. So God is at work. And then, of course, in the Gospels, we see the link between sin and illness is suggested in the account of the healing of the paralytic that we've just read. And then in, in, in James, he says, why are we... In James, the book of James, he says, is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Therefore, each of you confess your sins. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other 
so that you may be healed. So there's a connection between sin and prayer and faith and sickness and healing. And sometimes people get very excited about that because they go, I finally unlocked the magic key to twist God's arm to heal me. Haven't they? If I just have enough faith and I just pray, then God will heal me. And if God hasn't healed me, or you preferably, that means you haven't really confessed your sin and you aren't serious enough and you don't have enough faith. And this has been a common view, common or misunderstanding. Jesus addresses this in John chapter 9. It's a mistake to assume there's always a connection between disease and a specific sin in the life of the individual sufferer. His disciples came to him and said, there's a guy born blind. And they said, who sinned? This guy or his parents? And Jesus said, neither. Neither. Right now, you're probably thinking, what the heck? Here's the challenge. There is a connection between our choices, our sin, and the outcomes that we experience physically in terms of sickness in our bodies. That's true. There's also a correlation between our choices and the sickness we experience relationally. You have an affair, it will have a damaging effect on your marriage. Just a very obvious example. There's also obviously a connection between what I do in terms of my choices of obedience or disobedience to God and my spiritual well-being. There's absolutely a connection. But it's not a one-on-one -on -one connection, isn't it? The correlation is not one-to-one. -one. So it's not, okay, I've got a cold. That's because I cut someone off in the traffic last week and God is now punishing me with a cold. Or more, some of you may have lived through this, I, I did. Remember back in the early days of the AIDS crisis, when AIDS first swept through our world. And there were people who said they were very earnest people of faith, uh, of all faiths, but particularly Christians uh, and uh, Muslims who said the AIDS crisis is God's judgment on homosexual people. And they were very... There is a correlation and a connection between certain sorts of activities and getting certain sorts of diseases, but it's not one-on-one. -on -one. And then to read God's judgment into it just seems profoundly, at best, a misguided half-truth, and at worst, just self-righteous prejudice. Because generally what we're very quick to do is, when you are suffering, it's quite easy for me to think that you deserve it. When I'm suffering, I tend to think it's just a random accident in the universe. <laughs> it's complicated. There's no direct one-on-one -on -one correlation, though I would say this, and I think the Bible's really clear. If everyone in the world were, lived just exactly the way they should and everything in the world worked the way God had intended, there'd be no sickness. So what is healing? Biblically, therefore, healing is restoration. Healing is restoration. Restoring reality to the way it's meant to be. Restoring all of creation. You can think about the, our world being restored and healed. 
our bodies being restored to the way they're meant to be. Our bodies aren't meant to age and fall apart. All our relationships being restored to the way they're meant to be. Everything working the way it's meant to be. So who needs healing? Everyone. Everyone. And here's this point that is really significant, right? We can be sick long before we know we're sick. Isn't that true? You know? This happens a lot of the time. We can be sick long before we know we're sick. And this can happen in relationally, you're mentally, any dimension of illness. So we all need it. Our world desperately needs healing, restoration to the way it's meant to be. So who's the healer? Who's the ultimate healer? This is the Sunday school answer time. God. God is the ultimate healer. Because he is the only being who is capable of restoring all of reality to the way it's meant to be. Now, one way to think about this is uh, God is a source of infinite healing energy. God is energy. And what is happening in the world is that the world is slowly being picked apart and falling apart and dissolving and disintegrating. Entropy and decay are upon us. That's why everything's winding down. And how is that reversed, that process of entropy and decay? By, by the introduction into this system of an infinite source of healing, restorative energy to re-energize us. God is this, the same way you might go to a weekend spa retreat and exchange and exchange for a whole lot of money. You'll get a whole lot of energy put into you from other people, from massage therapists, from meditation guidance people, from saunas and from ice baths and from medicinal psychedelics or whatever you're purchasing. You try and bring energy into your system to heal and restore you, but that'll only last for a very short time. But God's energy is infinite and loving and is at work in the world to then reverse entropy and decay and restore and heal and renew and weave together everything. Now, of course, there's lots of stories. I'm not, we don't have time to go through all of these, but I will post these on Circle so you can look at them. But look what the psalmist says, praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits. What does he do? He forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Ha! Man, print that out and put that on your fridge. Doesn't that, isn't that an, that's just an, if that's true, that's the most wonderful promise. As I read, as I looked at that and started to read it out, I just felt this wave of emotion just going, oh, ah, this is the God we come to. He heals us, redeems our lives from the pit and crowns us with love and compassion. There's a whole story in Elisha. And then obviously what we just had, what Marie read for us. 
uh, Jesus healing. Uh, he goes out, this is what it says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. What's the good news of the kingdom? You'll think about it. What is a kingdom? It's the sphere, the place where the will of the king is done. Okay, so a kingdom is where the, the rule, the king's will is done. So we live in the constitutional monarchical republic of Australia, where the will of the king is done in this land, enacted through our government, and we make the laws, but the will of the law of the government is done in this land. So what is the good news of the kingdom? God, Jesus is saying, wherever he went, he said, the will of God is being done here, and the will of God is to restore and heal and forgive and make new all of reality. So Jesus went through and he said, hey, this, the will of God, if from Genesis 1 and 2, to, to make the world perfect and heal this divine energy, healing, love of God is present now. So come in and connect with this healing. Come into the kingdom of God now and you'll be healed. And that's what happened. And he did it because he had compassion on them because he, Jesus looks at us and he goes, geez, your lives are a mess without me. Entropy and decay, sickness abound. Death comes at all of us and Jesus comes amongst us and says, I'll bring you into the kingdom of God now if you want it and I'll heal you and I'll restore you. Isn't that amazing? So how are we healed? I'll tell you the first thing to understand when we come to healing, uh, the more focused you are on yourself, the more miserable you are. So the first step towards healing is to stop worrying so much about yourself and your own need for healing. Just thought I'd put that out there because it seems like it's so important. We live in an era in a culture that is obsessed with wellness which is just a secular form of spiritual healing. But, but haven't you discovered this? That the more you focus on yourself, the more miserable you are? Uh, what we actually need is, is the healing power of self-forgetfulness. To stop thinking about ourselves so much. Be free from this relentless obsession with maximizing our own well-being and finding inner peace and healing all our own diseases and managing all our aches and pains and living this place of nirvanic peace by our own efforts. I'll not, I was going to have a little rant about the low self-esteem theory of misbehavior, but we'll pass on that. Ask me about it afterwards. It's this idea that everything that's gone wrong in the world is because we've all grown up thinking too little of ourselves. And actually, Every culture, the biblical culture and almost every other culture in the world, except our kind of weird Western culture, thinks the biggest problem happens to us when we think too much of ourselves, called pride. We think the biggest problem happens when we don't think enough of ourselves. And you're going to, the more I think about myself, the more miserable I actually am. What's the answer? The answer, obviously, is actually to think about other people more than yourself. And the first step in that is to realize you got to trust, you don't have to, but the answer is trusting Jesus, coming into contact with Jesus and prayer. So that's how we connect with God outside of ourselves. We ask, we focus on him. 
and then we focus on others. And God uses means. God uses the church to heal us. He uses other people. The primary way we come into contact with Jesus is actually through other people. So how did Jesus bring healing as they came into contact with him? Who are Jesus' hands and feet in the world today? It's us. Go think about that. So if you want to be healed, if you want to flourish as a human being, find meaning and purpose, think less about yourself, think more about Jesus, and think more about other people, and be an agent and a channel of his healing and his wholeness and his peace into other people's lives. And then he uses means like sleep, exercise, therapy, medicine, etc. The most obvious thing we could all do to improve our relational wellness is get more sleep. Um, it's much, everyone is much more difficult to love. I find everyone in this church far more sinful when I'm sleep deprived. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Uh, uh, but God uses means, but God uses the church. So he wants to heal. He wants to use us. There's a question then, why are some not healed? It's a good question. The apostle Paul wasn't healed. Um, you, Paul, the apostle Paul had a thorn in his flesh in order to keep me from becoming conceited. I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Some profound physical ailment. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. So some people aren't healed and you and I will not be fully healed because God's grace will be revealed mostly in our weakness. So here's a challenge. Assuming you maintain your cognitive capacity, one of the greatest testimonies to your faith and your transformation and your healing is how you deal with age and death. How well are you and I going to die? Because that's the thorn in the flesh that will come upon all of us. What are we doing here as a church and what are we doing with our kids? In one sense, we are preparing all of us to live in such a way that the light and the energy and the love of Jesus shines through us the more brightly that our physical strength dissipates. Like the bigger the cracks in our physical appearance and our lives, the, the more the light of Jesus can shine through. I think that's how it works, right? Um, that is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So some people just aren't healed for who knows what reasons. The question is, what do we do with that? And will there ever be complete healing? Yes, God will heal the world. God, here is what Revelation 22 says. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. All of reality will one day be healed. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. So there's healing. And it's available to us. It's available to us now.
receive it from Jesus, pray, receive it as we pray for each other, and then go and be agents of healing in the world of restoration, of renewal. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are the gentle healer who's come into our world to bring to us the kingdom of heaven in all its restoring power and beauty. And I pray for each of us in this room, young and old alike, that we will know and experience you as the divine healer who can put together and restore all the pieces of our lives. I pray for our church, that we will be a church family of healing, of restoration within our family, connecting with you and with each other deeply, but then also as an agent of healing in this part of the city of Sydney, that women and men and children can come into this community and encounter Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit in a way that restores and makes them new. We ask this in your name, Lord. Amen.